You're listening to All Things Crime, brought to you by Abject Entertainment. Be sure to check out some of the other great true crime podcasts from this network, including The Murder in My Family, Missing Persons, Scene of the Crime, Three Men and a Mystery, DNA ID, Malice, Riddle Me That, and Zodiac Speaking. All of these podcasts are available for you to binge on right now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Subscribe where you're listening to this podcast so you don't miss an episode. Warning. All Things Crime is a true crime production that may contain violent or disturbing material. Viewer or listener discretion is advised. You know, it's it's very hard to be a police officer nowadays. The expectations, the pay, everything, it's just it's just something that they must really love in order to put their lives on the line because they literally do. You never know what's gonna happen when you go to a scene. You don't know, you know, if everything is going to be okay. But they this is ridiculous because in, in when I was working for law enforcement, they don't like you until they need you. And when they need you, you better be there because they need you. And then when you're all right, they're not going to say anything because they don't want you to know who really did this to them. So they can do it again to another person because they're afraid or whatever reason. But you don't want police until you need them. And then when you need them, you pray to God they're going to be there. Yeah. Anybody that's ever had to dial 911, I guarantee you, flat guarantee you, there's two people there trying to call. One is uh, the police and the other's God. And this kind of goes way back to the beginning of our conversation. I think that today's society forgets a little bit about the actual victim of these crimes. And it's not just the person like it, if it's a murder, like in, in Angie Dodge's case, it's not just Angie. That's the victim. I mean, her entire family and her entire community suffered from that, including the, the police agency, you know, Idaho Falls PD, uh, they went, they, they suffered too. They're part of that community. And, but, but especially Carol and you know, Angie's brother, uh, you know, they, they, it's amazing how much they have suffered over the past 20 years, not actually knowing who in reality, you know, killed Angie. And the fact that that that's finally coming to a close. Yeah. It's not just suffering, but literally this is Carol's words. And I've talked to other people who have lost people. They're shattered. You can't put the pieces back together. Hmm. What this does to families and, and and anyone who works on that case, anybody, even Christopher Tapp and even Michael Essery, who was thought to be, you know, part of this, their lives, they, they, there's pieces that you can never gather. And, and this is very hard on families. And so, yeah, you're right. You know, it, it does not just, if you were to count the people just in Angie's, I remember when I went up there just last week, there was so many people. I thought I had no idea, you know, yeah, you got to think about this and this and all these people. And, and every family, you brought up a really good point. They don't just sit back there and wait to see what happens. A lot of them will do research. A lot of them will, I, I've worked cases for families because they want to have answers. And they, they really are very passionate about trying to bring some closure. I, there's really not closure, but 
you know, some sense of, of some resolve. So that that's a good point to make. But that was a, a touching case. And, and you're right, Carol Dodge, a, oh, she's an amazing woman. She's so, so much courage and tenacity. 20 years, she looked for the killer, 20 years. One of the things I need to bring up on all this though, when it comes to cold cases, so we, we are starting to come out of the thinking that just the police department can solve it because they don't always have all the technology. They don't have all the answers and they're starting to reach out to forensic experts and they're starting to reach out to these technologies and wanting to get the information and wanting the help. And it's really a team effort. And if you look at the Angie Dodge case, even though it took a very long time, when it started rolling, you could see the team effort. It was like dominoes falling and honestly Jared if you remember and you can tell this part how Brian Drips was caught that genealogical end when you think of it it was a needle in a haystack literally and it was an amazing thing with everyone coming together for one purpose to help each other and this family in law enforcement it took all of them to make this happen not one person all of them it was amazing Yeah, the dominoes that fell, all based on uh, Carol. I mean, she is she is the the engine behind this entire train. And when she was just dissatisfied, the fact that she put it together that the DNA profile that they had from that semen stain on Angie's clothing did not match Christopher Tapp. You know, so even though Christopher Tapp was sitting in prison and had been convicted of Angie's murder, Carol didn't accept that. She said, okay, maybe we've got one guy. And I know initially she believed that, yes, he was involved. And I know how much she hated him and, and that whole thing. But over time, she actually came to realize that that is so significant, that disparity in the case. But the Idaho Falls PD they have so many other cases since then and they had somebody in jail. So it, it, it was kind of, it's not that they had totally forgotten about it. It's just, you know, police departments are amazingly busy and these guys are literally running from case to case to case and from uh, service call to service call. And it's their job to do the here and now. And so a lot of times these cold cases, they just don't have the resources to really Oh, they're underfunded. They're underfunded. They don't have the money to to pay for a lot of this. Our our state labs, a lot of them are not adequately put up with all the technology. They don't get the funding they need to to get it. And police cannot afford all because it's the private labs that have most of this high technology and they're very expensive. And yeah. so people think, well, your know, police aren't doing anything. Well, guess what? It, it costs a lot of money, you know, yeah. just, just to do something very simple. You're talking, you know, one, $2,000, a sample or something. Well, and I, I remember our own crime lab telling me that for a homicide, they, they can accept like three samples. I mean, I, I'm pretty sure you've told me that same thing. It's like you have to, in a homicide for crying out loud, and they you know, take you seven, would... seven, they, they, they do seven samples. Oh, they expanded it then. I don't know what it is now. This has been a few years ago, but, but, okay. and, and, and you have to remember though, on their part, they do the whole state of Utah. And so they can't, that, that's why I love what I do. Cause I can take my time and be very detailed on the cases because I work cold cases. Labs 
can't take all the time that I take on a case because they've got a lot to get through. And so you got to balance that out. It's kind of like police. What call are you going to go out on? Are you going to spend 20 hours on a recovery of a stolen vehicle? No, because it doesn't support the funding for that. Why would you spend on a recovery? Yeah, am I going to spend 20 on homicide? Yes, you know, that does support that. So yeah. there's that funding issue. Oh, they literally have to triage what they do. You know, yeah. they, they have limited resources and they have to spend the time where they're going to get the biggest bang for their buck. Yeah. You know, when they send officers out, uh, it can't be, you know, send five officers out to help recover, you know, somebody's cat. They have to send, <laughs> I mean, when, when there's a murderer on the loose, yeah, it's all, all hands on deck and the entire agency will be mobilized to, to go catch that guy. But that, that's a much different level than a lot of the other, you know, burglaries and things like that. And so it's, it's, a, it's a fine line. And I know that the, the population, you know, the citizenry, they look at the, the police agencies and law enforcement in general, and they say, well, my case is important. I want you to pay attention to my case. And they do, and they, they will if they can. But at the same time, Predators, their acts are evil. We call them monsters. We say no human could perpetrate the crimes they have committed. But in truth, only human beings execute these horrific acts. And if you're like me, you want to know why. To find out, join me, Ariel Cooksey, on my podcast, Malice. As a social psychologist, I dig into the psychology, sociology, neurobiology, child development, trauma, and other factors that come together to create malicious offenders. Find Malice wherever you listen to podcasts. Especially nowadays, oh my gosh, when you got politicians that are like, defund the police, you know, yeah. take money. It's like NYPD took a billion dollars away from, or, or, or the New York mayor, uh, Bill de Blasio, took a billion dollars away from NYPD. And yet he's the first one to complain when crime on the street is rising. Well, it's like, what do you expect? You know, it's, it's very hard to be a police officer nowadays. The expectations, the pay, everything. It's just, it's just something that they must really love in order to put their lives on the line because they literally do. You never know what's going to happen when you go to a scene. You don't know, you know, if everything is going to be okay. But they, this is ridiculous because in, in, when I was working for law enforcement, they don't like you until they need you. And when they need you, you better be there because they need you. And then when you're all right, they're not going to say anything because they don't want you to know who really did this to them. So they can do it again to another person because they're afraid or whatever reason. But you don't want police until you need them. And then when you need them, you pray to God they're going to be there. Yeah. Anybody that's ever had to dial 911, I guarantee you, flat guarantee you, there's two people there trying to call. One is uh, the police and the other is God. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. if, if, it, if you're ever in a situation when, you know, you're actually picking up a phone and dialing 911, I guarantee you everything that has happened in the past is goes out the window. 
because yep. th that is your crisis and you want whatever help you can possibly muster. Yep. And I totally understand it. I, I've never actually been in that position, but I, I can certainly, certainly relate with it. And that that's I, the moment. I, I, I've been in that position and I just want to run up and hug him and say, thank you. Thank you for being here. Oh, yeah. I thank you. You know, I know what that's like. And, and, you know, you're, you're absolutely right. This, this is something that's got to stop or we're not going to have safe communities. Yeah. Well, Hey, before we, uh, before we end, I think this, I think this is a good transition point into what as a crime scene investigator, what was some of the greatest moments that you ever experienced where, where the victim or the victim's family, where you helped solve their case? What was some of the responses that you got? Oh, well, the one that really comes to my mind is <clears throat> on the Angie Dodge case son Christopher Tapp, uh, finally being exonerated for the crime after he spent 20 years in prison. Christopher and I, had never met. We had seen each other. We knew of each other. But I remember walking into the the room when they were um, going to exonerate him, and they had the news conference after. And I saw him sitting there, and I just remember us hugging each other, and him saying in my ear, "Thank you, thank you." And this young, he was a very young man when he went in. He was 20 something years old and, and so much had happened. And if you listen to anything he has to say, it, it could not have been easy in prison uh, during that time. And, and that I, 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 I really hold close to my heart. I, there's a lot I'm working on right now um, through with law enforcement and, and also uh, families but there's one specific one, and, and I, I, I won't bring it up right now, but um, it's going to be solved. Um, I have no doubt we've, we've got good stuff on that. But I'll never forget the mom, you know, telling me and, and hugging me and saying, I've waited so long, so long. And what this has done to my family, we need to heal. We need to heal. And it, it, it was, I, I was privy to what this had caused the family and some of the things um, that had been very difficult for this this mother to to watch over the years happen and and that really you know touched I've had so many um, uh, like I said on when um, my shell casings produced a profile I knew I would be able to help other people and that was such a, a wonderful moment um, I have helped uh, families um, I, I'm, in fact I'm doing one right now that this woman has literally mortgaged her house trying to get answers um, on cases. And she found out about what I do and, and uh, she's come to me and I'm so, she's so grateful because when we look at the evidence, I talk about what I have and, and what's going to be something good to work with and why it would or would not be. And we're not going to move ahead on this until we test this to see if this happens first because the answer could be in this piece of evidence and they're so grateful that I'm not soaking them for money um, because believe it or not a lot of families will pay anything a lot of police pay a lot of money to get things done and just to being able to to look at it logically and say a lot of times you'll have evidence and you send it to a lab and they'll do all the evidence and and you don't need to do all of it. You, you can break it down. You can do, you know, the, the most probative three items and let's see what we get off that. And if we're not getting, then we'll move on down. And she was so sweet. And I know this has been, it, 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 you can tell her heart, her heart just aches 
you know, so badly. Uh, I, I have one I'm going to work on. It's really exciting. And, and, and it's one of the cases that the MVAC helped on was the Crystal Bosanovich case with the rock. And I'll never forget that, how excited I was on that one because a rock, you know, uh, you go to crime scenes, oh, they used a rock to do this or whatever, you know, and a lot of places didn't collect the rocks, you know, because what could you get from a rock? You can't fingerprint it, you know, can't swab right. it for DNA. So when that happened, that was huge, you know, just really, really huge in my book because now when um, I have, I have a couple of cases, they have items similar and I'm just so excited because I know it can happen and I know we can do this. Um, I just think that anytime you touch someone's life, whether it's a family or law enforcement or you do something, you've touched the whole. It's not just one life. You've touched the whole and, and you help. I think that there's a lot of stuff that still needs to happen that I'd really like to, to look forward to in the future. But at this point, I don't think society is, you know, really wanting some things and, and some things will have to happen. And one of those would be you have the DNA the genealogical databases. And, and I understand, totally understand. I don't want my DNA put in a database where anybody could check it out. You know, I do understand that thought process. I truly do. But then there's the other side where we have people that have been murdered and are missing people. We don't know who whose family these bones belong to. That if we could have access, you know, uh, we do have some access, but have access to check that out uh, under under certain conditions, and those have to be regulated just like you would a, a laboratory or thing. You regulate the conditions of what can be checked in a database. Society isn't really ready for all that, but I guarantee you that it'll probably be after I'm gone, but there will be a time when people's DNA is collected and they will have it anyway. So, you know, PKU they do now, uh, who knows what happens to all that stuff, but I'm just saying it'll happen at some point. Yeah. You know, it's interesting when you talk about the Crystal Bislanowicz case and The Rock, and based on that, there was a an agency that, during the riots last summer, they they had informed their officers that if any projectiles hit an officer and injures the officer, that collect it, and they did, and it was a it was a brick, and so during these riots, uh, one of the officers had got hit, and I think it, he was hit in the head with uh, one of the bricks that that the the rioters had thrown, and they were able to collect that brick get DNA off of it using the MBAC. And then yes. <laughs> as it turned out, yeah, isn't that cool? <laughs> yes. So, as it turned out, this guy, he was in Tifa. He was a just a anarchist and uh, he's in prison now. So sweet. Yeah. Or, or at great least great call. You know, police are getting smarter too. And this is great. It's like, you know, pick up the, the rock, pick up the bricks, look for these things. Um, the one thing I, I do want to say though, on the shell casings, the one obstacle I'm running into is a lot of officers, uh, police agencies send their shell casings into their lab to be processed for DNA and fingerprints. And they know that they get the same results back inconclusive or they don't get anything. And, and so if they can give those to me before any cross-contamination, anybody touches them, they get them right back. They'll be in good shape for them, for them to enter into the, the Niven uh, database for, for shell casings. But knowing what to collect, how to handle it is 
really crucial for law enforcement. And if you remember, crime scene did not become really popular until after the O.J. Simpson case because of how things were handled. And they didn't do anything really that much out of the ordinary. A lot of agencies did it, but that's when crime scene units started to spring up in different law enforcement is because how you handle evidence, how you collect it, how it's how the chain of custody is was pivotal and so that's when things started changing and it just gets better you know it, it does but handling that evidence and knowing what to do and I that's so great on that brick I love yeah. it <laughs> that's cool so you know all these guys out there rioting um if they're throwing bricks and even like Molotov cocktails things like that if it's oh, yeah. collected properly then uh, we can get DNA off Sweet. of it and those people are going to jail so Sweet sweet all right francine well it has been fantastic we could go on and on i mean there's um, lots more things that we need to talk about and so we'll yeah. have to have you on again but yeah, yeah it's been uh, so interesting and just i it's fun to finally get you know your past and and your career path and everything on the show here so it's uh, i appreciate you coming on Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Jared. It's great to just be talking to you again. <laughs> I know, right? Okay. Yeah. Well, let's do it again. Let's okay. do it again soon. Okay. All right. We'll talk to you later. Okay. Bye, Jared. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to All Things Crime. We are so grateful for all of our listeners. If you enjoyed this, please give us a positive review so other people can find it as well. Have an amazing All Things Crime Day.